This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of February 28th, 2022. Brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. My family and I and the Indianapolis Colts have talked about what causes we really want to get behind. And one very important cause we wanted to be advocates about is mental health awareness. There's a lot of people who are struggling silently and you would think everything's fine. Um, And I think that's just a big part of where we wanted to begin was taking away the shame and judgment that can come along with being diagnosed with with a mental illness um, and really trying to create compassion and understanding. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. You probably recognized that first raspy voice, Jim Mersey, longtime owner of the Indianapolis Colts. The second is Kaylin Jackson, one of Jim's three daughters who are owners with him in the team. Kaylin also is a vice chair in the Colts organization with responsibilities including operations and overseeing every department. But her most pressing day-to-day responsibilities are overseeing the community relations department and directing the family's philanthropy strategy. And thus she is the point person, or maybe quarterback is the better word, of the family's kicking the stigma initiative. Jim Mersey has been relatively open about his struggles with alcoholism and prescription medication addiction. And when the family decided to create a signature long-term philanthropy initiative, mental health seemed like the right fit. Kicking the Sigma has two missions, raising awareness about the prevalence of mental health disorders and raising and distributing funding to not-for-profits and other organizations to expand treatment options. When Kicking the Initiative debuted in 2020, the family wouldn't have been faulted if it essentially amounted to a high-profile rollout followed by a few big checks, but the effort has been much more robust. Since 2020, the family has committed more than $16 million to local and national organizations, most of which was donated directly by the family. It has created and paid to broadcast several national public service announcements related to mental health. More than a dozen organizations already have received game-changing grants. The Ursays recently donated $3 million to Indiana University to create a research institute for mental health issues. They have recruited a large roster of celebrities across the sports and entertainment worlds to tell their stories. And just last week, they donated half a million dollars to an Indianapolis not-for-profit to provide housing for people recovering from substance use disorders. Kaylin Jackson says there's a lot more on the way. I spoke with her last week about how mental health issues resonate with her family and her own experiences with anxiety. We discussed the initiative's four-day virtual fundraising event in 2021 that raised more than $2 million, which then was matched dollar for dollar by Jim Mersey. And we talk about growing up in the Colts organization and how her role with the team has evolved. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Kaylin Jackson, a vice chair and an owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Kaylin, thank you so much for taking time today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So before we start talking about kicking the stigma, I do want to help listeners get a bead on your role with the Colts and orient 
uh, non-Indianapolis listeners to the Ursay family. So tell me if I get this right. So your, your grandfather, Robert Ursay, bought the Colts in 1972 when they were still located in Baltimore. He moved the team to Indianapolis in 1984. Your father, Jim Ursay, became owner in 1997. And then in the meantime, you and your two sisters, Carly Ursay Gordon and Casey Foyt, have become vice chairs and owners. That is almost exactly correct, but you missed just the very beginning of our story, which I think is an interesting one to note, is that um, my grandpa actually bought the LA Rams back in 72 under the understanding with Carol Rosenblum that they would trade teams. And so as soon as he purchased them, they almost immediately within weeks traded the Baltimore Colts and the LA Rams and switched teams. And it's funny because I like to talk about it because it shows you how far we've come, you know, as an organization and as a business and as a league that we have the one page memo between the two of them just agreeing to trade. And that could never happen today, as everyone can imagine. There's way more red tape and things that have to be discussed and approved and voted on. And and that would be completely out of the picture. So it's an interesting thing to note that it was done that way back in 1972, which really wasn't even that long ago um so but yes you almost had it exactly correct <laughs> that's incredible it's just like they're exchanging pokemon cards yes and if you read the memo it's so cool to see it just because it's literally typed up on a typewriter one page just like agreed between the two of them like understanding <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you did you always want to be part of what is the family business was it expected or something that you just knew you were interested in yeah so i think you know, growing up, to be to be honest, it's one of those things where there was no pressure at all. You know, my dad always obviously hoped that we would love the business like he does um, and did and grew up in. Um, but I think it's funny. There are two sides of the loving the business for us because it's it's been so ingrained in us since birth. You know, everything in our lives in terms of the calendar year revolved around football. Um, and that's really all we ever knew. Um, that's all I remember. And that's still all I know. So a big part of me, I think assumed, you know, that comfort of, of what I already knew would be something I'd want to do, but definitely as I got older and you get into your adolescence and you start to question, well, what really do I want to do in this life? And what do I want? What am I passionate about? And is it this, or is it just assumed that, I would do this. And so I really took that seriously because I didn't want to do it if it wasn't something I was passionate about. And um, I really took the time. I went to Indiana University and I'm a very proud uh, Hoosier alumni and and still heavily involved there. And I went to their sport marketing and management program, which was one of the first in the country. And my middle sister, Casey, went through that program before me. And it was really there that I found, I like to say, IU helped me find myself and who I am and, and really showed me that I, I was passionate about that. But I don't think it was really until after I threw myself into the business, after I graduated in 2010, that I really took the time. Because, you know, we did internships and things like that as, you know, in, in high school, answering the phones and making copies, all the normal stuff that interns would do. Um, but it wasn't until I graduated where I really sat down and kind of did what I call a boot camp and spent time with every single person in the building, learned about what they did, why they chose to do this job, how they ended up in sport, you know, what makes them passionate about it, what do they do in the off season, in season. And I feel like through that, I really 
got ingrained and saw that this is where I wanted to be. So the Colts and the Ursay family have supported many, many causes since 1984. So my understanding of kicking the stigma, though, is that this is really intended to take it to another level in terms of being a signature effort of the Ursay family and being coordinated and sustained over a significant period of time. Is that right? Yes. And I think that it is, I'm glad that it feels different because it's meant to kind of feel different. Um, We kind of sat down and thought, as you said, we are known for being showing up when people need us. And we are so proud of that fact. And we have had our hands in in anywhere that is in need. and, And we pride ourselves in being there, especially in areas of high need that might need extra help or, or have, you know, fallen to the wayside. And so when we sat down though, and um, actually it was my older sister, Carly kind of challenged me, you know, if we were to have our own initiative though, you know, we've never had our own family chosen initiative. You know, a lot of the things that we've, you know, donated to, of course, mean a lot to us in a variety of ways, but we never really sat down and thought if there was something that was ours, like that represented our family's interests and and the need in the community, what would it be? And it was prior to the pandemic, a few months prior, that we landed on mental health because of our family ties to the issue. And, and then once we started to actually look into the numbers, that was really what solidified it in the sense that we were shocked. I think it was really upsetting to see the numbers and the statistics, especially in the state of Indiana, we're one of the worst states in the country when it comes to mental health. You could list a variety of things from suicide, depression, even ability to respond to a mental health crisis. Um, we are we are not high on that list. And it was upsetting to see because, as I said, I'm a proud Hoosier. And I think we also pride ourselves in showing up in these areas of high need. And we have not dedicated time to this space. So it really made us delve deeper and learn, go on kind of like a crash course of educating ourselves in this space, trying to connect with the right people that are doing, you know, really great work already, but just need more help and need more support and need people to shine a light um, on this issue that really has been in the dark uh, for far too long. And so that's kind of how it was born. And then as we all know, the pandemic only exacerbated the need. Now, your dad has talked publicly over the years about his struggles uh, with alcoholism and addiction to prescription medication. And even as far back as 2014, he was talking specifically about the stigma of alcoholism and addiction and how it makes recovery so much more difficult. Was that something that he personally brought to the concept of, of the campaign um, addressing the stigma? Yeah. I mean, I think he obviously knows, you know, with his very open issues with substance use disorder, that it's difficult. Um, And I think, you know, he's in recovery and doing really well. And we're so happy and proud of that. And I think, you know, we talk about things like, for example, if you beat cancer, everyone celebrates and, and brings you, you know, food and, you know, is very supportive. And, but yet when someone might beat alcoholism and and have get their one year coin or whatever it might be, it's really not viewed in the same way. But in fact, it's not that person's fault either that they're experiencing these issues. And I think there's also such a wide spectrum of mental health, you know, disorders and illnesses. And really, one of the biggest problems is the stigma in terms of actually reaching out and getting help. People feel it's their fault. They're not deserving of help, 
you know, and that's one of the biggest reasons that, you know, suicide numbers have increased that, you know, substance use disorder definitely increased. And a lot of the mental health issues also tie hand in hand. It's very common to see someone have more than one, you know, disorder tied, tied to what they're experiencing. So yes, I think definitely our personal experiences through what he's experienced, but also we have a lot of family and friends who've experienced the same thing and, you know, really watching them go through these struggles and, and not know where to turn and where to find help or, or even feeling like they need to hide the fact that they're going through this experience and how painful that can be, you know, for them and also for the family, because it's not, you know, we talk a lot about that too, that it's not just the person experiencing it, but the family that's going through it. And so it's just a, it's an issue that I think has been, like I said, it's been kind of hidden or like the elephant in the room. And we kind of want to be the one to bring it up and say, you know, use our experiences and vulnerability to hopefully lead others to join us and, and realize that it's okay, you know, to show that side of you. And that in fact, it may make you feel stronger and owning your story and, and might help you heal at the same time. So, and we also fully realize that not everybody wants to share their story, you know, out in the open and that's totally okay too. I think for us, we just feel that it's kind of part of our purpose, um, if you will. You know, my dad always speaks to the fact that our title is owner, but we're really just stewards in this life. And we've been given this opportunity and this amazing platform, and we really want to use it for good um, and, you know, be able to use our horseshoe and the Colts name to really help and shine a light on this issue. I'll offer that. I mean, I've probably struggled with depression and anxiety my entire adult life. And I've talked about it before and I've, I've even written about it, but you know, when I go to the pharmacy, I still get a little itchy, you know, when they say the name of the drug and, and it's then I kind of catch myself and go, wow, there's still, <laughs> I still feel, you know, the stigma related to this. I, yeah, still, well, you know, I, I still feel like this is somehow my fault. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, a lot of work has been done and, and is, I think, you know, we hope that our work in the last two years has, has helped, but there's a lot of work left to be done as we know. And I've also, you know, struggled with anxiety, you know, my whole life. And when I always say like, and I still do, cause it's not something that just goes away, you know, it's something that you live with. And I think that I really try to use, you know, my experiences and share the feelings I feel, because I think for me, I've seen people talk about their issues and I, you know, certain stories really connect with me and make me feel like as if they were in my head, like they, no way they said that, you know, that's exactly what I feel, or that's exactly what I've been experiencing. And, and you really, to be seen in that way by someone you don't even know is a powerful thing because you realize like, I don't even know this person and they're literally taking the words out of my mouth. And that's a really powerful thing. And I think we've found that with this campaign's initiative that having a variety of stories, you know, from certain alumni players and, you know, anyone from Snoop Dogg to Mike Epps to, you know, the list goes on and on who are so gracious with supporting this cause and sharing their own personal stories really shows that being able to get that out into the world really helps people and changed people's lives. You know, we had multiple people say seeing the PSA made them reach out to their therapist again or reach out to somebody for the first time or 
tell their dad that they felt exactly the way Darius Leonard was saying he felt. And they didn't feel like they could say it yet until they saw him saying it on national television. Mm -hmm. And so if we can help one person, (laughs) it's worth it, you know, to make them not feel like they're sitting at home alone. But I think that was the idea also behind the PSAs. When we start, we initially started the campaign, um, it was supposed to be an internal kind of like our social media outlets kind of thing. And then when my dad and I filmed for it, he got so passionate about it and said, you know, this should be something that we make bigger. You know, this should be a bigger conversation. This isn't just Indiana. This is the whole country. And this is an issue that, you know, we all need to be talking about. And so that's kind of how the PSAs were formed um, and how our website was formed and really everything, you know, we didn't have, he wanted to do those PSAs and we didn't even have a website yet. (laughs) So (laughs) it's kind of funny to look back now because we, you know, worked really hard to kind of quickly get things together Um, But it was so worth it. And, but it was really all him who wanted, you know, he's the one who, you know, kind of had the idea of putting these PSAs on Fox news and CNN and, and really, you know, part of big sporting events and kind of showing up in your living room where you least expect it. And that's, I think that the positive impact we had with it and the success we had with it was because of that. Like there wasn't something fancy about it. We weren't asking for money. We weren't asking for anything. We were simply just saying, let's talk about this fact that this is an issue. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> and so I think it was a very unique way about going about it. You know, we weren't really asking for anything. And I think that that's part of why we had such success with it as well. All right, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Okay, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our discussion with Kaylin Jackson about the Ursay family's Kicking the Stigma initiative. So you have been talking about this prior to the start of the pandemic, but then the pandemic happened along. And it seemed like the first kind of public uh, debut of this was during the, the My Cause, My Cleats program in late 2020. Yes. So that was used basically because of the pandemic, we kind of realized we're not going to be able to get out into the community. We're not going to be able to have a, you know, fundraising event anytime soon. And I said, well, I don't want to wait to get started on this, you know, and we hadn't really announced that this is what we are doing. And this is a big initiative of ours. So we took that opportunity, the My Cosmic Cleats, to really announce and kind of launch this initiative so that we could really get started because we didn't want to wait. And then it kind of spiraled from there. We did multiple PSAs. And then again, because like all of us had no idea how long or how this pandemic was going to move and when it would end and all of that, we kind of ended up wanting to do a fundraising event, but realized we couldn't do it in person. And so we embarked on figuring out how to do a you know, digital fundraising event, which was very interesting in itself, but it was really, you know, silver lining way, really unique because we were able to connect with so many more people 
being on a digital platform and reaching, you know, more than just people in the state of Indiana. So in a way, I guess we found our silver lining in that sense. Um, and it went over and really this well. Was, this was a four day virtual fundraiser. Like, I mean, those of us yeah. who grew up with like the Jerry Lewis telethon, like, wow, 20, <laughs> 24 hours was a long time. How did you do that over four days? Well, and the idea kind of was we, because it had to be digital and it wasn't, you know, an in-person able to really interact with people and get people to, to, you know, engage in live auction and that kind of stuff that you see at a normal event. We knew we probably had to make it unique and have, give more people time to learn about what we're doing and, and digest all of the, the materials we were able to put together. And so we kind of themed it. So each day was a different theme, all relating to mental health and, um, I think because it was our first two, we wanted to make sure we were also not just raising funds, but really it was more about, again, continuing the conversation, creating awareness, educating people who are interested in learning about this topic. And because that's a big thing. I think we realized I have learned so much in the last two years about mental health and the issues that exist, you know, systemically and, you know, within all aspects of society. And we've really been able to hone in on areas that we really wanted to publicize to people and make sure that they're aware too. As we all know, it can affect anyone, no matter who you are, what socioeconomic status you are, what race you are, it doesn't matter. You know, it affects everyone. And I think that that is something that the pandemic, again, if anything from the pandemic is a silver lining, is that some people for the very first time are experiencing a mental health challenge that they may have never had before. And as much as that is unfortunate, it really enabled people to see this topic in a much more relatable way. And so I think that that's why you see so much more talk about this and open, which is great. You know, there's so many incredibly well-known people that participated in this. I mean, you mentioned a few already. Was Jim Gaffigan part of it? Yeah, Jim Gaffigan, uh, Carson Daly, Edron James, Payne Manning. Reggie Wayne, Jeff Saturday, Cameron Crowe, as I mentioned, Snoop Dogg, Tony Dungy, of course. But yeah, I mean, really anyone we asked didn't say no. I, I get why like the former Colts people, the people who allied with the Colts one way or another, why they would be ready for that. For the other guys like Gaffigan or, or Cameron Crowe, is this a situation where your dad just picks up the phone? These are guys that he knows and says, um, They are people he knows, but I actually was the one to call and ask them. Okay. <laughs> um, he, okay. But we have known them for a while. Snoop Dogg, we actually, Mike Epps is the one who knows him and kind of talked to him about his involvement in it and why he thinks it's important. And Snoop, basically, because of his relationship with him, agreed. He was like, yeah, I would love to help. So some of the relationships were because of that, but um, some were mainly because of our connection with our family. But a lot of them, honestly, they all have a reason to say, you know, this, yes, like, of course, this topic should be talked about. This shouldn't be in the dark, like, of course, I'd love to help. And in terms of, you know, the family's contribution to all this, I, I wanted to go back just for a second. I think in late 2020, around the time of the My Cleats or My Cause, My Cleats, uh, there was the family made a million dollar donation to IU Health and a session St. Vincent to increase access to mental health services across Indiana. And in the, the fundraiser we were just talking about, it, tell me if I'm right, it raised about $2.2 million and then your dad matched that. So the total yes. was 4.5 million. Yes. And then you create the Kicking the Stigma Action Fund, which includes that 4.5 million. 
and not-for-profits and other institutions that deal with mental health are invited to apply for grants from the fund. Is that right? Yes. So back when, I guess before, it was right before we, it would have been the spring of, of 2020 when we hadn't really announced that we were doing Kicking the Stigma yet. Uh, my dad did a $3 million gift, but it was $1 million to IU Health, $1 million to St. Vincent Stress Center, and then $1 million to Suburban North Club. And that kind of like solidified the start of all of this. And then, as you said, we had our amazing, successful um, week-long fundraising event in that in May of 2021, which raised a little like 2.2-ish. And then, yes, my dad matched it. So the 4.5 plus million that was came out of that virtual fundraiser did go into our Kicking the Stigma Action Grant Fund. And so we have to date, probably a little closer to 3 million of that has been awarded to a variety of different organizations, mainly local, but a few national organizations as well. Two of the most recent ones that I think made a bigger splash and we're obviously very excited about the long-term effects of these um, was to the Be Happy program with Riley Children's Health. And then also the Ursa Family Research Institute at Indiana University, which was a $3 million gift that we are kind of doing in partnership with the university. It's designed to be the leading national center for research and, and addressing the stigma around mental health, but also really establishing areas of help and workforce development. That's another huge issue in mental health. And same with the Riley Be Happy program, you know, basically that gift is helping them hire additional psychiatrists to actually field the calls that are coming in that they can't take any more of because, and they have waiting lists that are close to a year long to get these kids help. As I said, the more statistics you read and the more things you hear from the experts that work in this field, the more upsetting it is. And we've really just tried to be very strategic in evaluating what comes through um, the grants and also you know, outside giving additionally from us and the best places to put our money to really make real systemic change that's not just going to, you know, help right now, but help in the long run as well. So yeah, the, the $3 million gift to IU for the Ursa Family Research Institute, that was not part of the action grant program. That was directly from the family. So part of it is from the action grant and then part of it is us. Oh, okay, great. And then the, uh, I think the $650,000 donation to the Be Happy program. Yes. And also kind of a mix of from the... That is from the Action Grant Fund. And then just uh, last week, the family announced a $500,000 donation to Pathway for Recovery. Yeah, so that's basically it's creating a center to basically help more people with substance use disorder in an area of high need in the city. And that was not part of the Action Grant Fund. So that was another just separate gift specifically targeted at, you know, high need. And some of it is in an area that, you know, people may not be able to find the resources. So to really increase access to resources in areas is a, is a big pillar of ours. Cause that's the thing. Part of it is getting past the stigma and actually asking for help. And then the next part is well, where do I find help? Um, and that's why I brought up workforce development because it's one of the biggest issues that you'll see in any area, youth, adult, that there's just not enough people being trained there, especially in the state of Indiana for the need. And that's only going to continue to become a problem as the need rises each month, really, especially with the pandemic, um, as 
made the need that much higher. So a lot of these really check our boxes of those areas that we have kind of um, been able to pull out to focus on, because as I've been saying, I'm, it's a stolen phrase that someone said in a conversation around mental health is, you know, we really are trying not to boil the ocean and really trying to make real effective impact. And it may not be all at once, but we're trying to be strategic in that sense. So uh, in the most recent release, I saw that if we take a full accounting here through the action grants, as well as personal donations from the RSAs, the family has committed more than, I think, $16 million to yes. uh, local and national. Since 2020, yeah. Since 2020. Can, can you just ballpark I mean, how much of that is directly from the family? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I would say over half. Well, I mean, it's all of it other than the 4.5, really. Um, so a lot of that is coming from, so it's individual donations like you see listed in all of the areas from, you know, IU Health to Stress Center, North Club to Boulder Crest to the um, Indian University, but it's also including the awareness campaign from the PSAs as well, because um, those ran for two years almost, um, and we made three different versions, I believe. So that's also a big part. What else is there to do? <laughs> and <laughs> so of, course there, of course, there is so much to do. But what, what uh, can you give us a sense of what we'll see over the next year? Yes, I would not be surprised if there was um, another PSA in the mix. We have not created it yet, but it's in the discussion. Um, we also are in plans of having our first in-person fundraising event in this fall. So it'll be an in-season fundraising event that we're very excited about. We can't release the date yet until we have our sought after schedule, which we won't get until May. But as soon as we have that and we have that locked in, we will. everyone will be seeing that um, and how you can be involved and how you can help with that. But really, it's continuing to keep this like I said, a topic that doesn't just go away. You know, I think you see a lot of great work and, and initiatives start come and go. And we really hope and are committed to this being something that is long-term and that we are committed to not just our funds, but sharing our, or giving our time and energy to this issue for years and years to come. Well, I've taken up a ton of your time. Um, thank you so much for sharing this. Well, thank you. I really, really do appreciate everyone who has given or talked about this or shared anything to do with this. And, and there will be much more to come on Kicking the Stigma. My thanks again to Kaylin Jackson. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ that I'd like to draw your attention. First up, three Black-owned businesses are planning moves downtown as part of a larger effort to help the city's core recover from the pandemic. Dave Lindquist reports that they're getting help from a not-for-profit that has emerged as a local leader in diversity initiatives. Also in this week's issue, John Russell explains how the sprawling case against Bloomington-based Cook Medical has ballooned into one of the largest and longest civil actions in Indiana history. And Mickey Shuey outlines how Indianapolis is embracing esports on the professional and academic level with hopes of becoming a national player. Again, you can read these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. It's a little easier said than done, but I can guarantee you access. 
if you're a subscriber. It works out to about $2 per week for all of the latest news about local business and politics, plus all of IBJ's data about the central Indiana economy and corporate community. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast, which is edited by Leslie Weidenbenner. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.